Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, we are excited you guys are here today and continue a series we've been in really since the beginning of the year, this idea of decisions that determine your destiny, that we're all sitting here in front of a new year, a new decade, and really trying to figure out how do we make the most of the opportunity God's put before us, make the most of the time, however much time that is we've got between now and the time that this life is over here on this planet for us, and we want to make the most of it. And so we've been using as a filter to make better decisions this filter called the harvest principle that is taught all the way throughout the Bible. We see it reiterated. We'll see it again today, all the way through Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And essentially, the harvest principle says that you and I, we reap what we sow. We reap what we sow. In other words, that there is an assumed correlation between our choices and the outcome of our life. That the past choices that have been made in your life, whether they were your choices or somebody else's, they have created your current circumstance that you're living with maybe sometimes other people's choices that were made for you or their choices that you made and you may not be happy with them now but they have raised up a harvest there's a consequence that goes with those and we've been talking about so how do we do better so if that's been true of the past and the present then as we look forward it's as though God says hey let me give you a really good predictor of the future okay the best predictor of the future is to ask yourself what am I, what are you sowing right now in your life? And we've been looking at every kind of area from your belief system to your habits, to your friends, to your dreams, to your thought life. We looked at that last week, that that's a real battleground for many of us is our thought life. And then this week, we're going to take this magnifying glass, if you will, this filter and look at our words and ask the question, what words are you sowing in your life right now? In other words, our words are planting seeds, if you will, in other people, in us, and all around us. And we're going to see how that's so true today. But what kind of seeds are you planting? Our words are more powerful than we realize. As a matter of fact, I would say that pretty much everybody in here that has already selected a career path for your life, you did that at least in part because of words that were spoken to you, encouragement from either other people in that industry that said, hey, I think you've got some real potential. I think, have you ever considered going into this line of work? I think you'd be really good at this. That there was some kind of encouraging conversation somewhere along the line. I bet you remember somebody said something to you that got you thinking, hmm, maybe I could. And maybe you'd never thought about that before until they spoke those words, they sowed those words into your mind, into your heart, and they began to grow. And as you went in that direction and began to pray that through, or maybe you were not a, a person of faith at that time, you just began to pursue it, it grew and it grew and it grew. And I know that was true for me back in high school and college. Uh, I began to feel like maybe God is leading me into ministry. And nobody in my family had ever done that. It was kind of weird, to be really honest with you. As a matter of fact, early on, I had people saying, how did you know you were supposed to go in the ministry? And it wasn't like, I want to find out. It was almost like, how did a guy like you wind up in the ministry? Anyway, 
a little, you know, kind of hurt my feelings a little bit. But anyway, no, but it was funny because I started serving in my church as a high school student and then later into college. As a matter of fact, I still tell people, I have young people all the time saying, I think God might be calling me into the ministry, but I don't know for sure. I would always tell you, if you're feeling that way, start serving in a church, in the local church, here at Brazos Fellowship or somewhere, start serving. Start serving in different areas and just see how God begins to lead your heart because if this is the direction he wants you to go, it'll begin to ignite some passion in you that you didn't, it will awaken some stuff in you that you didn't know was there. That's what happened for me. And then I had people beginning when I would teach, when I would lead teams, they would say, wow, Will, have you ever considered doing this full time? Have you ever thought about, have you ever prayed about going into this? And it got me thinking. It was the words of others that were sown into me that got me moving in that direction. So what I'm saying to you is that the question isn't whether your words are a shaping force of your destiny. The question is, what kind of force are your words? What kind of force are they becoming in your life? And the words of other people. As a matter of fact, 3,000 years ago, King Solomon, under the inspiration of God's Spirit, wrote some incredible insight about our words in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. I want to share that with you right now. And this is what he said. He said, the tongue can bring, and let's read these highlighted words together if you wouldn't mind. The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap. There's our sowing and reaping. There's our harvest principle again. Our, our words are sowing seed. We'll reap the consequences. And it doesn't have to be necessarily a negative consequence. It can be a positive consequence. But he's saying, hey, if you're saying a lot of words, be careful because you're casting a lot of seed. Make sure it's good seed. Some of it might be thorns and thistles, you know, and briars growing up in the future, and you're going to have to live with that. So be careful what you're saying. But your words are powerful. They bring death or life. I love how the message translation interprets the same verse. They put it this way, words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You, you choose. It's your choice. It's like God saying, I am giving you a choice. I'm giving you a gift to choose your words. The scripture is very clear about the fact that God has made us, men and women, boys and girls, in the image of God, okay? It's what gives us inherent value. Whether you make no money or have no acclaim or a credentials or make a big splash or noise in this world or not, God says you are precious and you're valuable, you're priceless to me. And part of that being made in the image of God is that God has given us power with our words, you know, how did God create, think about this just for a minute, the days of creation. How did he create things? He literally spoke them into being. There was a sense in which God's words creating everything that we see. He created this world that we live in. And in a very real sense, he's given us the gift that through our, wor our words, we create our own little world. We, we teach people how to treat us, how to respond to us. We teach uh, other people around us, uh, what kind of people we are, what's important to us. It comes out of our mouths, doesn't it? It's really incredible. But this idea that our words give life or death, they frustrate, they, they uh, invigorate, they encourage, they discourage. It's really, really true. So I want to talk to you about how your words have power of life and death in three specific areas in, in all of our lives. 
Here's the first area, in the area of our physical existence, right? That words give life or death. In a very real sense, and this doesn't take a lot of imagination to think about illustrations of how this works, but a judge or jury, simply by the words that a judge or jury speaks, can either cause somebody to be killed or be set free, right? A doctor, in recommending a particular surgery, she can either save a life or she could take a life, right? A weatherman, in issuing a tornado warning, could save tons of lives in a particular area, right? A counselor sitting down with a suicidal person could speak words of hope in a moment where they're so desperately needing hope and they can remind them of what is valuable and that they are precious and there's something to live for. And in those moments, they could save a life. It's so incredibly powerful how important and how, how moving these words are in terms of life and death. And not just physically, but also emotionally. Emotionally in our life. In James chapter 3, verse 6, the half-brother of Jesus, it's always interesting to, to read James because he had such a beautiful insight, uh, like many of the followers of Jesus, but this guy actually grew up in the same home with Jesus. But James writes this about the tongue. He says, the tongue is a, let's say it together, is a, a fire, okay? It's a fire. And I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but who in, in, in this room, who, who, who can hear my voice today, has not been burned at some point by somebody else's words, right? We've all felt the fire that comes off of the tongue. And I don't know about you, but I remember back in junior high and high school, whenever somebody would put somebody down, what would we say? We'd go, ooh, burn, right? I don't know. Maybe it was just my high school. But <laughs> you know where they got that? Right here in the Bible. I'm telling you. We burn. We've all felt the burn of somebody saying something horrible to us and putting us down and hurt, especially if it was public or you got humiliated in the process. It's so important to think about our words are powerful and they can burn people. And going back to Solomon's writing, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18, this time, here's what he says. He says, the words of the reckless, let's say it together, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And we've all felt that other end of the words too, where Words of encouragement brought healing in a moment where we needed it most. Where you felt like you were down on the mat, bloody, bruised from life, and somebody came along at just the right time and spoke some words of life and encouragement and healing to you that helped you to get back up and get back in the fight and get back into the start living your life again. And it's so powerful how that can happen. But it's funny how most encouragement, almost all encouragement, comes by way of words. But what's interesting is the same could be said of discouragement. Most discouragement also comes by words. But the funny thing about us as human beings, and, and I see this so much as a pastor, is that we tend to forget the words of healing and encouragement and we tend to hang on to the words of discouragement and the piercing like a sword. You know why I think that is? It's because those hurtful words, those discouraging words, they go deep. They put a wound in us. And sometimes they don't heal for a long time or they leave a scar, an emotional scar in our life. 
Some of you still live to this day with an emotional scar of something that was said by someone that you trusted, that you loved, and they hurt you so bad in a moment of anger, frustration, and they said it to you, and it hurt, and you can't forget it, and you replay it, and it's just a beat down sometimes. It's so painful. We have to never forget that our words can do that to people, and they can hurt them desperately. Our words are so much more powerful than we realize. Our words can help heal our, our words can pierce like swords. And, and I remember a time early on in my kind of early development uh, as I was beginning to pursue ministry and I was going to seminary and I had a professor that I later learned just dearly loved. He became a real mentor in my life. But one of the first couple of classes that I took with him, his name was Dr. Calvin Miller. And um, Dr. Miller, I remember that morning at the end of his lecture, he took a moment he said, um, let me explain something to you guys, because seminary is an interesting place. It's a funny place. It's, got, it's like this little bubble in the middle of the world. And he said, and some of you in this room that are hearing my voice, you're not going to get recognized on this campus, and you're not going to make much of a splash or have much of a to-do about you here. But don't worry, because you're going to go on into this world, and you're going to have a major impact for the kingdom of God. And then he just sort of closed up his lecture. We're all like, whoa, that was kind of heavy. And we like picked up our things. We're all kind of getting our stuff. And people are beginning to file out of the classroom. And there's just kind of chatter going on. And over the top of all that, he says, Will Lewis. And he points at me. And I'm thinking, I'm in trouble. All right? I'm like, yes, sir. He goes, you're one of those people. I never forgot that. He said, you're one of those people. I was like, Me? Who, who am I? I mean, there's like 3,000 people at the seminary. He's like, he saw something in me. And those words completely got me to think differently about my future and what God wanted to do in my life. I carry them with me down to this day. That man passed away in August of 2012, but his words live on in my heart as an encouragement that brought healing and, and help and encouragement to me in some of the lowest times of my ministry. And I just remind you by telling you that story, you have the same power in your children's life, in your nieces and nephews, your grandchildren, in your friends. There are younger people that you work around that God has given you influence in their life more than you realize. They look up to you. You influence them. Are you using it wisely? Are you having those I see in you moments? I just want you to know, I see in you greatness. I see in you that God is going to do something really great. You are so, you work so well with kids. You do so good in these kinds of environments. I've seen you excel. Tell them, when you see something good, say it. Say it. We don't say it enough. We need to say it. We need to say it in our marriages. We need to say it in our workplaces. We need to say it in our families. We need to say it. It's so important because people, many times, their emotional health, sometimes hangs in the balance. It's important to speak up. The third place, not only physical, emotional, but lastly, spiritual, that our words have power for life or death spiritually. And here's what Jesus said. He says that our words, they tell us what is really in our hearts. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, if you would read the highlighted words, he says, for the mouth speaks what the heart is in other words, the mouth speaks the overflow of the heart. 
what is really going on in your heart. He says, look at what you're saying. Look what comes out of your mouth. And that will really be a great indicator. And it's the stuff that comes out of your mouth when there's no real filter. When, when you're not trying to be real careful about, like, what's coming out of your mouth. Jesus says, not only are your words an indication of what's going on in your heart, but your words, will, you will be held accountable. I will be held accountable for every word, every careless word that we say. This is so important. Jesus is like, don't forget this. Don't overlook this. Don't blow this off. It's so important. This is just a couple of verses later, verses 36 and 37. He says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, this day of accountability before God, he says it's coming for all people, judgment. People will give account for every careless word they speak. For from your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Condemnation and salvation both come by way of confession. They come by what is coming out of our mouths, the spoken word. It's so powerful. We'll look further into this in just a little bit. But he is showing us, your words are weightier than you realize. They are eternity-altering. They show other people, even God, what is actually in your heart. Not that God doesn't already know, but it is an indicator to you what is actually in the heart. So how do we prepare for this day of judgment? How do we prepare for this accountability? How do we clean up what's in our heart? Do we do that by just trying to clean up our speech? No, it doesn't work like that. Jesus is showing us you can't clean up your heart by cleaning up your speech. That's not the way it works. As a matter of fact, James, going back to James chapter 3, verse 8, he says this. He says, no human being can tame the tongue like it is humanly impossible for you to fully and completely get control of your tongue. Not possible. It's interesting here. He's showing us that it's going to have to come from someplace else. It's going to come from another power source. It's going to actually have to come from God himself. And now James is talking specifically to those who are followers of Jesus, children of God, Christians. And here's what he says in verse 10. He says, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. This is a contradiction of what your heart should be containing. This is a contradiction of who owns your heart. He goes on to use the illustration of you don't have a well or you don't have a spring that springs forth, you know, fresh water and salt water. Never happens. He goes, neither should what is springing forth from your heart. It should be consistent with who you are in the Lord. And it's so important at this moment to begin to ask that question, well, how do we do that? It's important to know that God wants to change us from the inside out. This is his job. This is his desire for every single one of us. He wants to change you from the inside out. And here's how he does it. He does it by you and I surrendering our hearts to him. When we surrender our heart to God, it allows the Holy Spirit of God to come and reside within our hearts. And he begins to purify our hearts, our motives, our attitudes, and ultimately, our words become radically different because now we want everything, words included, to please the one who has given us life. We want our words to please God. It is our new desire to live for him, to speak for him, let him use our voice box for his glory. It's amazing. 
As a matter of fact, to put it another way, the tongue under control, the tongue under control is a sign of the power of God's Holy Spirit at work in your life and in my life. This doesn't happen apart from the Holy Spirit. It's something that happens only by someone who's saying, God, I want you to take full possession of my heart. I surrender it completely. May your Holy Spirit clean house. Show me what I need to confess. Change the words that come out of my heart. And the Apostle Paul takes this and he says, for those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ, let me broaden this application a little bit more and help you to understand how it all works together. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, he says this. He says, and whatever you do, whatever you do, right? Whether in, let's say it together, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. He's saying, listen, whatever you do, do it all in the name that you're doing it for his glory, for his, to honor the name of Jesus. It's like, this is a gift. It's an opportunity. And it's so brief. It's so much shorter and so much more precious than we realize We've got to begin to leverage this opportunity to use it for his glory, for his name, while we still have time. And I just want to encourage you, over the next couple of minutes, I'm going to give you a series of questions. They're probing, they're personal, they're all up in your business. I'm just going to tell you up front, they're going to make you uncomfortable and a little bit awkward, but I'm going to challenge you not only to ask them of yourself, but to sit down with somebody who knows you well and have the guts, the courage to ask them to tell you what is the truth about you, okay? This is going to be tough, but I'm telling you, you want to get the most out of this message? You want to begin to sow better seeds with your words? This is how you do it. You get gut-level honest with somebody that you can trust, a spouse, a best friend, a family member, somebody who will not sugarcoat it but give you the real deal. Like, they're doing it in love, but they're going to be honest with you. Here's the questions, how we're going to begin this. It's simply saying, what kind of seeds are your words sowing? What kind of seeds are your words sowing? So let me give you a couple of questions to think about. Do your words help people to be encouraged or discouraged? It seems so simple, but it's a really important question. Do you tend towards sarcasm, cutting remarks, being critical? Like, well, you don't want to encourage too much because they'll get used to it. You know, like, is that your habit? Ephesians 4.29 tells us this. Do not use foul or abusive language. Let everything that you say be good and helpful so that your words will be in, let's say it together, be in, Encouragement, to put courage into people, right? Encouragement to those who hear them. Put courage into them. Are we doing that? Here's the next question. Do your words show people that you care about them or just what you want from them? Are we slowing down long enough to let people know, hey, tell me about you. What's going on with you? I know we got to work together with people and we got to get things from them and we got to get things done. There's tasks that have to be accomplished but do people know that we care about them? Another translation of the same verse, Ephesians 4.29 from the, new, uh, uh, the NIV, New International Version, it says that our words should build other people up according to their needs so that it may benefit those who listen. Do your words do that? 
Do they build other people up, not according to your need, but according to their need, so that it might benefit them, those who listen? These are what, this is what the function of language. God's saying, ultimately, I would love to see your language be used in this way. This is glorifying to me. Do your words provoke fear or faith in other people? Fear or faith? Have you got people in your life that if you're ever doing anything that's going to require faith, like you're going to be stepping out, you don't want to go tell that person because, my gosh, their first response will be, oh, well, aren't you scared this is going to happen? Aren't you afraid that's going to happen? Aren't you afraid? Aren't you afraid? Aren't you afraid? Aren't you afraid? And you're like, well, now I am. Thanks a lot. I appreciate that. I've got people like that in my life too. Is that what you do to other people? I'm not talking about don't have a good plan going forward. Man, be wise about your plans and seek out wisdom and counsel from people. Absolutely. But life is filled with unknowns. Are you going to point to the unknowns and say, be afraid, be afraid, be afraid? Or are you going to say, you need to trust God? You need to exercise faith, and God is going to grow your faith. I'm excited to see how God's going to grow your faith through this. He's going to deepen your trust. He's going to show his faithfulness to you like never before. What's coming out of your mouth when it comes to other people? So important. Here's the next one. What impression do people get of Jesus when they talk to you? What impression? This is going back to our Colossians 3.17 verse. That whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So our words should be done unto him. It should be for his glory, to honor, to be honoring to him. Do people know anything about Jesus when they talk to you ever? Like people, do they, people know you for years and years and years and they would be shocked to know that you have any connection with Jesus Christ? That, that's, that should be an issue. Like, think about that. What influence are you having? And I may, you may be working in environments where you're like, well, you don't understand. I can't talk about that a whole lot. And, and, but are you at least trying, you doing what you can do? I understand sometimes we're restrained by certain, constrained by certain environments, but doing what you can and letting your words be seasoned with, with, with encouragement and faith and believing and trusting and loving how is, how is that coming off to other people? It's so important. Now, these two questions, by the way, are not going to be on your written notes, so I encourage you to jot these down because I want to encourage you to ask these questions of yourself and sit down with somebody and ask those questions together and ask for a real, genuine answer. Now, here's the question that kind of helps to wrap all these other questions up. What changes... Do you need to make to your words to better honor Jesus Christ? What needs to change? Ask this of somebody that knows you. What would you say? What would you recommend to me? Now, God, I know this is difficult. I know this is awkward. This requires, what I'm telling you to do today is not easy. It may be one of the hardest messages in this whole series. You know why? Because it demands humility and vulnerability, things that we don't like to give anybody but let me just tell you, there is no forward movement and spiritual growth without humility and vulnerability. You're kidding yourself if you think you're going to grow without them. And this is how you do it. You ask for honest feedback. God, speak through them. Show me where I need to be working on things. Don't let me live this life of self-deception. Oh, it's all good. I'm, of course I'm encouraging. I think I am. Talk to somebody, ask them, let them have 
like absolute carte blanche, honest response to you and see what you learn. It's so important to ask these kinds of questions. So important. Because we cannot clean up our heart just by trying to clean up our speech. It happens the other way around. That our heart must be purified. And there is no way to purify your heart apart from what Jesus offers. The Apostle Paul wraps it up beautifully in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. He says this. He says, if you, let's say it together, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Salvation has these two components. There is a confession and there is a believing. There's a confessing with the mouth. There is a believing in the heart. And, and I just want to encourage you today that you would be willing just to say, Lord, I'm surrendering to you. And maybe for some of you in here, you're like, I'm already a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm a Christian. But man, if I can be really honest, my words are indicating some off-the-rail stuff going on in my heart. It's not surrendered fully. And I want to get that right today. I want to give you an opportunity in our prayer in just a moment to bring that back in alignment and just confess, Jesus, you are Lord, not just of all this world and universe, but of me, of all of me, my little micro universe. You're, in, you're the Lord of all of it. And I confess, I believe that, that God raised you from the dead. And without that resurrection, none of the rest of it's even possible. Forgiveness of sins, to be right with God, be unified, have a relationship with Him, not possible. So right now, I want to ask you that if you would, really just to kind of, I want to take us all the way back to where we started, really ask the question, do my words kill, do they give life? You choose. You get to choose. And what will your choice be? The ball's in your court. It's your move. What will you do next? Will you take these and go apply them? Ask the tough questions? I Man, I pray you will. And let God begin to shape and mold you and prepare you for what he wants to do next. Because the beautiful thing is, you and I fully surrendered to God where God can truly reign in every area of our life. That is who we truly are. You will never know who you actually are until you're fully surrendered to him. That is when we discover like who we were created to be. Some of you are still trying to figure out who you are. And God's saying, that's found in me. That's found in surrender to me. That's letting me reign in, in your life and let me purify and clean house in your heart, in your words and everything else. Everything by word and deed will begin to change. It'll be all done unto the name of Jesus Christ. Here's the application prayer I'm asking you to pray, pray with me. Jesus, I commit to change my words to fully honor you starting today fully honor you. Use my words to give life. I confess you as my Lord and resurrected Savior. And again, maybe you have prayed that before, but it's time to kind of renew that and just say, God, you're my Lord. You're my resurrected Savior. Nobody else has made that offer. Nobody else, is, nobody else can save you. No one else can offer that kind of forgiveness and, and, and purification of your heart and to come into this beautiful identity of your created genius that God created. Your creator is the only one that knows your true function and identity. And it's in him that you find that. And the outflow of that is it changes not just your words, but everything. 
Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.